0: What does it mean to be Isaac? In this episode, Isaac shares his stories of growing up and living without arms and short legs, and his reflections on addressing various issues over time, from disability and mental health to race-related issues. I'm Fumi, this is Tashigar Racism, and this is the story of Isaac.
1: I'm Isaac born with a disability called limb pelvic hypoplasia which means I have no arms and short legs. I've got scoliosis which is the curvature of the spine but that's been corrected by metal work and on top of all of that I have reflux which is stomach problems but um, day to day I just get on with it and uh, achieve what I can.
0: Isaac shares his experiences growing up.
1: So growing up Family, especially my mum, made sure I went to like a mainstream school. She's always treated me like everybody else. And because of that, it's allowed me to have the mindset of overcoming obstacles and being around people. She really did push for me to go to a mainstream school. It was a bit of a, a fight to do that, but because of that pushing and the people that I've met during this time, it that's how I feel. I've not really seen the race thing because I've just been built to just, I guess you could call it quote unquote normal, um, to just live a normal life. Obviously, it's come with its challenges, but I think the times that I've found where I've kind of not felt normal is you know for the beginning part of my life not being able to go on the bus because it wasn't accessible or going on the train because it wasn't uh stations weren't I couldn't get on the train and I had to let them know 48 hours in advance you know that was um you know sometimes we don't know if I'm going to travel in 48 hours but uh, you know back then you had to let them know in that time and if not you wouldn't get assistance like you couldn't go up and ask for that so in that aspect I did feel a lot different being able to access things being able to travel it was a lot more difficult and I did feel excluded even you know primary school and secondary school having to get a school bus pick me up instead of just walking with other students that was also made me feel different during school and having learning support assistance, which was great help, but everyone else was writing their own things and I had to tell someone my answers, you know. So there were aspects where I did feel out of place, but on the other hand, it did make me feel included in some of these aspects. So it's an interesting thing to think about because, so in my school, there was a department for people with disabilities and there are loads of learning support assistants who would assist us during class or make us eat Make us eat, help us eat (laughs) during dinner times and support us with the whole school day, really. But with that came, it was kind of like, as much as like they helped us during class and which was mixed and um, during break time and all that kind of stuff. There were times where, well, it was every day that when we came to school. So, yeah, we all came on like three different buses. So all the people with disabilities came on the bus so we were together then then when we got in we went into the place called the medical center where we would get people to get our coats off and stuff so again all the people with disabilities were together then then when it came to like lunchtime, we all sat around the table because it was easier for the learning support sisters to help us so you know it in that aspect it, we were kind of like excluded from everybody else like it had the great intention and they wanted to give us the best of support, but we were excluded from everyone. I think there were some people who did have an opportunity to say, look, I want to sit with my friends, but we kind of just all sat together. All the wheelchair users kind of sat together and that was like the thing to do. So, yeah, it was kind of like uh inclusive exclusion <laughs> in some ways um cuz even like sports activities we would have days out to go to participate against other schools also with disabilities which you know was great that we could have competitive sports but again it was like oh you're only doing it within the disability part of the space rather than doing it together like i said great experiences but looking back at it it was kind of inclusive yeah it was good and bad More good, I would say though. I think groups and spaces like that are good because people can have an opportunity to work with others, an opportunity to feel like they can do stuff together because, you know, the world's not being built, for for example, for all people with disabilities. So that's why groups are important. That's why charities doing certain disabilities are important as well. But I think ultimately it's about allyship and understanding of each other beyond those groups and really talking about it. Because, for example, me, yeah, I might have a disability, but I didn't know much about disability to join LinkedIn because I've only seen it from the lens of a wheelchair, electric wheelchair user. But being on LinkedIn, I've connected with someone with visual impairment and I've learned about web accessibility and the importance of alt text and image descriptions and, you know, people who are deaf and adding captions on videos. Like these are things I never thought about and how much of an impact it was making people not included in the conversation. So, you know, I've, I've taken a huge learning curve in the disability community. um, And it's great when we can learn and educate from each other. And that's how we can really go forward.
0: Isaac reflects on the importance of lived experiences for allyship.
1: I had a mixture of friends, and they were supportive. And, you know, one thing I think is really beneficial when I am put in a class with mainly um, people without a disability is them to just help me naturally is only going to help them have skills for the future of understanding accessibility and inclusion a lot better because, you know... I'm a true believer, if you're not put into a situation, how are you meant to know something? Obviously, that's when you ask questions. But, you know, sometimes people just don't know if they've not been put in that situation. So to have my classmates and friends at the time to have experience with me, they may not think it has given an impact, but, you know, subconsciously, they will be more ahead of the game when it comes to inclusion and um, working with people with disabilities. And that's how they, they can take it into real life experiences.
0: Isaac will grow to become a vlogger, inspiring persons with disabilities. He shares how his journey began.
1: After secondary school, I've always had a creative mind. And I was like, you know, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to do the nine to five. School was getting a bit too much for me after sixth form. So I was like, no, I want to do my own thing. So I did media in school and I really liked the concept of video editing and YouTube was like a new thing back then. So I was like, you know what, I want to do, I want to film content and do YouTube and things and vlog my journey because, you know, I'd been doing things like holding the Olympic torch back then and um, other things that would come up and what I'd get involved in. So I left school and at the time I was also an ambassador for a charity for the Dream Factory called the Dream Factory and they grant dreams for underprivileged children and they'd give me a dream before leaving school and after so they were doing a promo video and they wanted to get some of the dream recipients to talk about their experiences so they asked me to talk about my dream which was going up in a helicopter and I, um, I was happy to do that and we did the filming spoke about my experience and then me and the film guy really got on and I was telling him about, you know, doing vlogging and doing YouTube and things like that. And he said, oh, you know, what camera would you like to get if you could start doing that? And I said, oh, I'll, you know, I've looked at cameras and I think a GoPro would be good because it's because I go out with so many different people. GoPro was the easiest to really get people to understand. It's literally two buttons. So I was like, you know, a GoPro camera would be good. And I hope to get that soon. So... A couple of months went by and it was Christmas 2012 and um, I got a present under the tree from this filmmaker and he ended up buying me a GoPro which was we didn't expect it really Um, so I was very grateful to him and that's how it allowed me to start my YouTube journey and i will just film adventures, which would show my skiing, my skydive, all types of different activities that I never knew existed, but I ended up just pushing and pushing the boundaries and showing what can be done with a disability. And at this time, friends and family would always say to me, you know, you should really talk about disability in your videos, you could really educate people. And I thought, why do I need to do that for? I'm just having fun making videos. Um, But they kept saying, no, no, you need to do it. You need to do it. And I thought, oh, why should I do that for? So I ended up continuing doing the videos and kind of ignoring what (laughs) friends and family were saying. And then I was given an opportunity to do a talk up north to talk about overcoming obstacles and disability. So I thought, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So I ended up doing this talk. And then afterwards, this thing's always stuck with me. A woman came up to me. And she said, you know, I get a lot of pains in my legs um, and I'm always complaining about it. But after hearing your story, it's really changed my perspective on things. And that was kind of like the first time I'd heard the impact I was making, not from a friend or family member. So I was like, maybe I can start incorporating that into the videos, which I did. And a lot of people were finding it really insightful and um, really liked that I was talking about it.
0: Isaac continued to make videos and in 2017 won a vlogging competition. This success, while having its benefits, did not come without new challenges.
1: From that win, I was given an opportunity to go into television. I was in the newspapers. I was given a one-to-one mentor from YouTube. And, you know... Back then, my mindset was like, okay, now I'm going to get a million followers. I'm going to have a successful YouTube channel. I'm going to be an influencer. I'm going to be amazing and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then months went by and that didn't really happen. So that really took a toll on my mental health and I I really got unmotivated at the time and I was at the beginning, I enjoyed doing videos, but. Then I was like, oh, I'm putting all these hours in and I'm not getting a viewership. I'm not getting this and that and the other. So I kind of got very demotivated and it was making an impact on my mental health. As this was happening, I also thought to be happy in life, you had to be in a relationship. So even though I was doing all of these cool things, like skiing, skydiving, tour ship sailing, all of that, internally, I wasn't happy. And I thought the only way to get that happiness was to be in a relationship. So I was blinded by all the cool things I was doing. Like Obviously, I was grateful for what I was doing, and I was happy at the time, but internally I wasn't. So I was like, okay, well, the obvious thing is to get into a relationship. That's that's going to make me happy. So I, I, I kind of was more focused on that than anything else that I was doing. And it became quite dangerous because there were times where girls would be nice to me and I ultimately thought that they just liked me and when I found out that they didn't like me it would make me feel quite down and bad and then I'd be one of those people who would share my feelings online and say oh this person's done this to me again and and then the person would end up seeing it and then they'll say oh no it wasn't that and how dare you write kind of things like that and that would make me feel even worse because I wasn't in the right mental capacity so that was happening and then I eventually did end up getting a girlfriend and we went out for a couple of weeks and then I realized I still wasn't happy internally and I thought oh, why am I still not happy I finally got what I've always wanted so I became quite selfish I was like I finally got what I wanted so I'm gonna make sure I'm happy now <laughs> and um, obviously to be selfish in a relationship that doesn't work so it didn't really last long. So that and the video kind of came together and it got just got to a breaking point. Um. Oh, actually before that, there was a third thing actually as well. The third thing was, as I was talking about disability and advocacy and stuff, I only thought looking at other influencers, they only show good sides of things. So how can I, and I wasn't feeling great, but. I thought if I talk about bad stuff, no one wants to hear that and I won't be seen as this inspirational person or someone who's really motivating them. I can only talk about good things. So, you know, I wasn't openly happy to speak about it because I thought I'd be disappointing people. So, yeah, so that was the third thing. And literally all things came together and got to a breaking point, And I was like, OK, I really need to understand why I'm not happy. And that's when I took a step back and took it upon myself to learn about the mind and the first thing which came to my mind and i don't know if you've seen the film called lucy it's a film where a woman uses more than 10 percent of her brain and i don't know why this popped into my head and it did and i i thought is it is that fantasy or is it re- reality and i searched it on youtube 10 percent of your brain and that's when i came across a guy called bob proctor and he was uh, talking about the law of attraction and how we think through and speak is reality that we create. And I was really fascinated by this, that I kept on learning about it and I became quite honest. Uh, well, I, yeah, I became more honest and understanding of how I was actually feeling and being more open of speaking about it. And I came out of that feeling, right? Like I got to just be positive about my life. That's the only way forward. Um, I'm going to be. Fully folk full, po- positive on things. Then I learned about meditation, something I mocked for quite a while. I was like, how can you breathe and feel better about your life? It didn't make sense to me. But I ended up doing it and uh, and I was like, okay, I understand now, it does make sense. <laughs> so yeah, did that um did that for a whole year. I was like, okay, I'm in a much better place now. I don't need to do any more meditation, I don't need to do any more learning. I'm in a much better place now. Two weeks later, back at rock bottom. I was like how did that, how did that happen like you know i never thought that would ever happen and that's when i realized it's a journey rather than an end destination and to keep practicing and keep on learning about it and to have a realistic mindset rather than just a positive one because being realistic prepares you for negative and positive situations so um yeah that's been my mental journey and, um, more openly talking about it. I talk about it on LinkedIn and all my socials more openly, and people really appreciate it because it's human. And, you know, being honest with myself is not only helping me, but it's helping others.
0: Isaac identifies himself as a black man. However, he said that it was not until recently that he started to see issues related to race and representation. He shares a talk he had with a black colleague.
1: The topic of race came up. And I started off by saying, you know, as a black man, I didn't really see race. And the first thing she said was, oh, that's that's not good. You know, you, you know that's, that's really... I guess you could say she said it was, like, quite harmful saying that from someone like my caliber. But she d- didn't allow me to... Um, finish my story because i was talking about an opportunity where i was i went up north to a conference for young people at my church it was a conference for young people where they make decisions for the church and when i first went it was mainly all white individuals white young people and i was the first person with a disability who had ever gone to the conference as well So I was explaining this experience and you know I didn't really feel too uncomfortable about it because um, as I said to her I don't I didn't really see race I just see people as people. So we went to the conference and then they learned a lot about access and because the train station wasn't accessible so they had to change the train station for people with disabilities. They ended up doing a ramp in the stage a couple of years onwards and then they started to bring more people with race in, which was good. But again, you know, I just saw people as people. And then one year when it was a lot more mixed with race afterwards, there was a photographer who was taking pictures. And then every year they produce a magazine, which comes out. And most of the pictures chosen were of just white young people. And I didn't really notice it at the time, but another, advocate, who used to be the minister of our church wife, who's very strongly about race and make sure everyone's represented, emailed me with this very strongly worded email saying, have you seen this magazine and there's not much representation and all of this kind of stuff. And actually, that was kind of the first time I'd really saw it and how people weren't represented. And it was from that email and talking onwards that I've now make sure when, you know, whenever I, because I do video editing and I use stock imagery and stock videos that I make sure that it's a mixture of everybody represented because, you know, we live in a diverse world, so everyone should be represented. So I'm more clued up with it now and I make sure that I try and make the best of representation in my content. And... After I told the woman that in our conversation, she was like, okay, now I understand.
0: (laughs) Isaac says that after noticing the lack of representation in media, he's become more attentive to this issue in his creative work.
1: One way I am doing that through my creativity is using stock imagery, which is showcasing everyone. So that's definitely something I I really make sure. And I do notice a lot more when not in videos so i make sure that is in all the videos that i produce at least and that people are represented and you know there's times where finding that footage takes forever but i really do make sure that i i get it i i do get to show people and um i think once people see themselves in that video um they'll be like okay you know i might be interested in what's going on or what's being advertised and things like that so yeah i just try and I'm more consciously mindful of that when I do videos because even like I went on one stock footage website and it was mainly just white faces and I was like I can't use this and they didn't really have much with disability either so I was like no I need to find something else and I found better places now that uh, got a wider mix of people and I make sure I use that in my videos.
0: Isaac talks about the double-edged nature of power derived from people's influences on social media.
1: I want to talk about power because it's very, even myself, like I've got a huge influence on LinkedIn and I could say anything and sadly people could believe it, right? But I've seen people with bigger influence than me in the disability space saying some things and it's like, you know, you're making all the allies believe that when in reality, it shouldn't be said like that. Like someone was talking about language and they were saying, you know, you've got to say this, otherwise none of the disability community are going to speak with you or something like, along those lines. And I thought, well, no, actually, the reality is you should always speak to someone about language and what they would prefer to be called as. Cause I think everyone has a right to label them as however they feel comfortable. And that's why we should, you know, speak to people. Like, co- having conversations like this um, are really good. But, you know, to sign so boldly about that. And then you see comments say, oh, yeah, okay, I have an understanding now. I'll, I'll make sure to say it like that. And it's like, you're teaching them the wrong things. Because that, what that one person has said, now an ally is going to say something to someone. And they'll be like, oh, no, I don't like to be referred to as that. And they say, oh, no, but this person said that. And then they, they then... F- that's when the uncomfortable situations happen. And it's like, that could have been avoided if they told the allies the right information. So yeah, I think, yeah, they're infighting and like they're, they're good in what they're doing, but they just gotta be careful what, how they say it. Like great power comes great responsibility. So, you know, you got to, they gotta be very mindful of what they say. And that's why, you know, with what I put out online, I only share my lived experience mainly. I don't really comment on big issues that often because I feel no one could be against my lived experience because that's my lived experience but yeah I've started to talk more on a wider aspect but again it's always coming from my opinion and I say it's my opinion and I hope it's something that allows people to think differently but not to just base what I'm saying as the truth I just kind of like I just like to bring the topic out in discussion and then allow others to think otherwise. You know, I I think that's I think that's how we should really be doing it, educating and allow people to have different opinions on things, not say this is the right way of doing things, Um, because of people say that's why they like my post, because I'm just saying it from my story. And, you know, that's something I I love doing and, and I'm probably going to be continuing for a while. yeah, I think that's how it should really be done. And obviously, there are times where if it's a total injustice, yeah, there's always a right and wrong way you should do things. But in the scheme of things, yeah, we should get people in the conversation rather than telling them.
0: Isaac is first and foremost a disability and mental health advocate. However, he has been entering more spaces to engage on race-related issues he shares a recurring observation in all the spaces he navigates.
1: To it in a nutshell, we just live in a crazy world, really. The more I've been involved in these communities, the more I see, I see two sides of a coin. Either people are in it together and they really want to make a difference and they're all doing it for the right reasons. Or the other side where they seem to be doing it for the right reasons, but either they're doing it selfishly for individual gain. And again, like we mentioned about the infighting, you know, I think every community, every behind the scenes that I've seen, it's just, it's just crazy. Really. I just, I come out thinking like, how did I get myself in this position? Cause you know, I'm not some, someone for confrontation. I, I, I call people out if, if, you know, there's a time and place for calling people. out. I don't just do it for fun. You know, there's time and place for everything. But I've just seen a lot of just things that just shouldn't happen in in these spaces. For example, the fashion industry, already a crazy world. You know, people are certain size models and all of that. And there are people making the change. And I've been to very inclusive fashion shows where... Race, gender, uh, culture—every uh, community is represented on the on the catwalk, and I think that's that's a great thing. And I've been blown away by what people are doing. On the face of it, it's amazing, but when you look behind the scenes, it's like, was that actually adaptive clothing, or was that person actually represented in the right way? It's just, you know, it's behind the scenes, which I just find crazy within the communities. But when people do it right and everyone has great intentions, yeah, it's amazing. But sometimes it's just, yeah, they're just doing it for personal gain and I think that's wrong. But also one thing which always seems to confuse me and that is why have we still not got to a point where accessibility is not at the forefront of every conversation? Because accessibility is one of those things that can affect everybody. For example, making an entrance accessible is everyone can go in, in it's not just a person with a disability and anyone can have an accident, anyone can have a health condition which may make them have a disability. So why wouldn't you wanna make that the forefront of every conversation when it's affecting everyone? It's a it's a human thing to make things accessible. So yeah, that's that's a very difficult one
0: Despite his increased focus on race and other societal issues, Isaac says he feels most comfortable talking about disability.
1: I've always had the lens of disability. And because of that, I've always felt as if that's been my biggest discrimination when I'm not able to do things, you know, not being able to access bus because um, he lets a buggy over priority over me or train stations not being accessible. I've always had the disability lens and I've always feel more comfortable talking about disability because, you know, that is my day-to-day life, sorry it's race, but I've always felt more comfortable with um, talking about disability. And, you know, throughout this journey, I've really connected with those in the disability community and uh, I feel like I'm making a difference in changing people's perspectives in
0: that area. Against the background of his experiences, Isaac shares his take on what it takes to be an ally for all issues.
1: You know, in regarding to disability and the spaces that I've got myself into, it's just about talking and realising there's a lot more uh, in common between each other than we know. And just, just talking with each other, having conversations like these openly. And as long as your intention is is right then don't worry about what you say um, because you could tell from a genuine and a not genuine person. So yeah, just have these conversation, ask questions and uh, learn and educate from each other. And also I do want to say, and within those conversations, I feel it's a responsibility for those educating and not to say they should have known that because not everyone knows everything. So we should educate and then for people on the receiving end to listen and learn. So yeah, it's a two-way street. I think you just got to take that leap and uh, learn, really. I, I mean, like I said, I've, I've learned so much from the disability space and the race space and LGBTQ community. Yeah, There's so much to learn. And why not? You know, why not learn? It's only helping us grow together.
0: You can find more information about Isaac's creative work, as well as other articles, books, and videos he recommends people to take a look at on disability, mental health, and racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in #our_racism. underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag racism. See you after summer break on September 6. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Music by Pete Morris, Crescent Music and Fugu Vibes. This podcast is powered by the Competence Center for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Sengal. A big thank you to Isaac for his invaluable time and energy in sharing with us honest, thought-provoking and timely reflections on this issue.